In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Well, this was quite a feast this morning, wasn't it, for the senses? Music, beauty, and I think if you're sitting in the front rows, even smells. Those um, lilies are absolutely gorgeous. Well, you know, one of the very special privileges of my life has been to interact with foreign students, students from other countries and other cultures. And obviously, when one does that, they are a window on a different world outside of my own. But perhaps what is most surprising in those kinds of encounters is that through those encounters, you understand and encounter your own worldview much better. Now, if you were to ask a fish, what is water? Assuming that a fish could actually speak, he'd probably say, what's water? See, to you and me, the most salient thing about a fish is he lives in water. But because he's totally immersed in it, he doesn't really know what it is. It's just the way things are. He knows nothing else. Now, I remember Lim. He was an incredibly diligent student from the People's Republic of China. And Lim and I were talking, and before he studied theology with me, he had taken a master's degree in Australia. And then one day, Lim came to me very excitedly to to tell me about the birth of his first daughter back home in China. And he told me her name in Chinese, and then he said proudly, in English, it means rose odor. I said, no, Lim, diapers have an odor. Flowers have a fragrance. Well, one time we were talking, and I I remember it like yesterday. We were talking about things back home, and then somehow, something I must have said triggered this, and then Lim said to me, yes, you know, when I lived in Australia, I worked at a bank, and all they could do was just to wait for the weekend so they could get in their 4 by 4 and go roaring around the outback. He said... You Westerners, you love to play. We Chinese, we never play. We only work. And as I thought about that, I realized how right he actually is. Think about what a portion of our income we are willing to spend on our play. And if you don't think so, just take a field trip to Bass Pro Shop. You see... Our Western world arises from centuries of the rich climate of Europe. And our forefathers, no matter how poor they were, always had enough so they could take a little holiday or a little break or have a little festival of some kind. And even the poorest of the poor have always found a little time to go fishing. But in the long history of China... Famine has only been one step behind. And from them, from those experiences, the worldview has arisen in the East that if you rest even for a moment, hunger will overtake you. What's my point? My point is this, that our worldview impacts us far more than we can imagine. If we, like that fish, don't occasionally get dragged up on land, we are hardly ever given the opportunity to contemplate 
our worldview and how it influences us. Now, in the month of October, we have been looking in the Gospel, Mark chapter 10. And that Gospel text, Mark 10, metaphorically drags us up onto the shore and allows us to get a glimpse of our own worldview. Now, everyone here this morning knows about the Gospels, and they know that they are the story of Jesus, okay? If you're new, Gospels are the story of Jesus. Yet, when Peter was telling his Roman audience the story of Jesus, what he was actually doing was inviting them to come join the story of Jesus. And from very ancient times, the Gospels have always been the core about which the church is built. Now, Paul and all his good advice and admonition are instruction for the church. The Psalms were and have been the church's hymnal. The Old Testament is the church's foundation. But the Gospels are the very core and center of the church's life. The church calendar is based on the Gospels. And each and every year, for the last 1900 years, the church has rehearsed the life of Jesus. His birth, his baptism, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his sending of the Holy Spirit through the church calendar. Now, why do we do that? Here's why. Because Jesus commanded us to make disciples out of every tribe and tongue and nation and world view. You see, each year as we go through the Gospels, it is an invitation to trade out our old world view and to adopt a new one. The Gospels are an invitation to make Jesus' story our story. That's why we're in the Gospels this morning. This Sunday and next, we're going to be in the Gospels, and specifically Mark chapter 10. And Mark chapter 10 bumps up against us with important questions. And it's this important question I want us to consider for the next two Sundays. Are we going the way of the cross? Let me say that again. Are we going the way of the cross? Now let me see if I can unpack that a little better. The question is, what does all this talk about worldview have to do with the problems that you and I are going to experience this week upcoming? And that's a good question. But I want you to hang with me just a little longer here. Now, understand that Jesus' life most certainly did not happen in three acts. If you look at Matthew's Gospel, or if you look at the Gospel of John, it's clear that Jesus' life was far more com complex than the three-act play. And at the time, for those involved in it, it was far more perplexing. Mark gathered up the stories that Peter was telling about Jesus in Rome. And these were 
Peter's own eyewitness stories. He'd seen them himself. And then Mark sent them out into the world to tell the gospel story as if it were a three-act play. Now, why would he do that? He was doing that precisely because, being led by the Holy Spirit, he was trying to reveal the meaning of everything that Jesus did. In the providence of God, Mark understood that he was giving disciples a framework about which they should build their own lives. In simplest terms, Christian, if, the go- if this is the story, if the gospel is the story of your Lord and Master, should we not make it our story too? Now, let me invite you to take out this handout that I've given you here. Okay? And you'll all see that All of us are in need of grace. These have been beautifully corrected by a friend of mine. You see, when you get old, you don't even know what month it is, okay? So take out that handout. And I'd like you to look at how Mark has arranged this gospel story. Did you find it there? Act 1... Of Mark's gospel story is chapters 1 through 9. That's act 1 of the gospel story. It is the story of what Jesus did in his ministry in Galilee. Act 2, which is a single chapter, chapter 10, and that's what we're looking at this month, is Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. He was headed for his own crucifixion. And then acts 3, act is chapters 11 through 16. That, of course, is the record of his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. Now, let's take a quick look at each of those acts in turn, sort of an overview. When you look at Act 1, chapters 1 through 9, the ministry in Galilee, what do you think of? What do you think of? Well, of course, Jesus was healing people, wasn't he? He was feeding people, wasn't he? He was raising the dead. He was walking on the water. He was stilling the storm. He was casting out demons. He was teaching publicly to big crowds in smaller units in the synagogue and then privately, one by one, with his disciples. But ask yourself this question. So what? What was he trying to do? He certainly didn't heal every sick person in Galilee, did he? No. He certainly didn't raise all the dead. He didn't even feed all the hungry, although he could have. How did Jesus ever know when he had done enough? Ever ask yourself that question? When do I get a break here? When have I done enough here? Now, on the surface of it, if you think about it, He really didn't do very much. I mean, did life totally change? Not really. Life kind of went on. There was no wide-scale transformation from the things he did. So what was it Jesus was trying to do? In a word, he was bearing witness to himself. All of Jesus' teaching. And all his miracles 
had this one goal in mind. They were intended to be an irrefutable witness to his true identity. All that he did, whatever it was that he was doing, it was intended to be a proclamation that he was the Son of God. Think about how Mark's gospel opens up, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The Son of God. Well, the question is, how did Jesus know when he got it done? How did he know when he had completed his work? Well, there are two events that are recorded in Mark's gospel at the end of Jesus' Galilean ministry that makes this clear. In Mark chapter 8, Peter finally gets the witness. Peter finally understands what Jesus is all about. At Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus says, And who do you say that I am? He replies, You are the Christ. Peter says, I got it. And then, the second event, six days later, Jesus takes Peter and James and John and takes them up on the Mount of Transfiguration and there they can see with their very own eyes that that witness was correct. Peter, in fact, had God's validation. Good student, Peter. This is my beloved son. And by the way, listen to him. The summary of Act 1 of Mark's Gospel is this. Jesus was throwing down the gauntlet. Jesus comes into the world and he declares he is the unique Son of God, incomparable to any other. In everything he did, in everything he did, he was bearing witness to this fact. He is, by divine right, the ruler of the world. And he was saying that henceforth, every other world view must reckon with his challenge. Who do you say that I am? Now the third act of Mark's gospel, we'll come back to the second in a minute. The third act is the one that we're most familiar with, of course. It's the passion. It's the cross. And there are many ways that one might summarize Act 3, but I like to summarize it this way. Winning the prize. In Jesus' atoning work, he saves sinners and does the Father's will through pain and suffering. In his resurrection, the Father validates all of Jesus' claims. I mean, any idiot can make a claim. Only one man has had God validated by resurrection to eternal life. In this way, Jesus is able to establish by the power of the Holy Spirit the new people of God. He wins the prize. But this morning, friends, I want you to understand that this is more than just Jesus' story. Mark intends for it to be your story, too. 
They, these three acts are to be the worldview in which you live, in which I live. Uh, okay, what do you mean? How does that work? Well, let's consider Act 1. If the bulk of Jesus' life and ministry were about a witness to himself as the true Son of God, you know what I'm going to say? Then your work and my work ought to be as a witness to Jesus as the true Son of God. You and I are to be witnesses in the world. How? In everything we do, spoken or unspoken, we are to bear witness to God's love and forgiveness. So, so, when the waitress messes up your order and brings you spumoni instead of spaghetti... Do you act as if she's just thrown aspersions on your mother's lineage? (coughs) Friends, I've seen far too many Christians do exactly that thing. And then the server watches with astonishment as you bow your head and pray. In what you do every day is your worldview controlled by the thought, if anything I do may it be seen to be a reflection of the Son of God. Is your worldview based on Jesus' worldview? You know what Jesus' worldview was? If anyone would be first, he must be what? Last of all. Is that your worldview? Is that the way you think? Is that where you make your decisions? That's what the gospel means. In the gospel, act three, we see Jesus resolve to win the prize despite the suffering and pain. But I've seen far too many Christians who say, my feelings have been hurt once too often. I quit this church stuff. I'm not coming here anymore. You know what his worldview is? His worldview is... I will give myself that the Father's will may be done. I will give myself to the Father's will because at the right time there will be a reward. The gospel story is intended to become our story. It's intended to inform who we understand ourselves to be what we see ourselves doing, and how we will conduct ourselves toward God and our neighbor. Now, next week, we're going to unpack the second act of Mark's gospel, the journey to Jerusalem. It will also be the final time that I will have the wonderful privilege 
of addressing you, my friends, at Holy Cross. But today I'd like to close by adding some shoe leather to the things we have discussed. There is not a single day that goes by without numerous voices calling out to you and to me, saying, think this way about yourself, your world, and your place in the world. Now, if those voices use those exact words, you'd probably go, oh, wait a minute, somebody's trying to tell me something here. But usually those voices come in much more subtle terms. They sound like this. <laughs> you know, I'll never really be satisfied until. You know, I'm just such a loser in everything I do. You know, I deserve better than that. I'm not going to take this line down. And all those messages reinforce our Western worldview of materialism, individualism, self-sufficiency, and pride. In contrast, there is a voice that we may listen to if we choose. It says, there was this life so lovely so praiseworthy, so perfect that you really want to be a part of it. That life was so full that it floods over into your own soul today. If you will but turn in conscious reflection upon it, that life will begin to transform you and me into something lovely and praiseworthy and more beautiful than we ever imagined. The longer that you live in that life, the more you find that you've begun to think differently about yourself, about God, and your neighbor. Here is lasting inner peace. Dear friends, let us listen to that voice, for that is the voice of the gospel. And may God give us grace to give it careful heed each and every week.